Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Here's my high energy voice. Alright, sounds yeah. good. Alright. Uh, this is Radio Gripe. I am one of your hosts. My name is Joe. I'm Jen. Thank you for joining us once again. Yeah. This is our general discussion show. And uh, yeah, we get into all manner of things. Uh, we tend to talk about depressing news, try to mix it with uplifting news, and every now and then have irreverent news. That's kind of our thing. For listeners of the pod, we are coming to you alive out of Taylor, Texas, home of KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. Yep. I don't want to say where in Taylor we are, no. but we are just a short walk away from one of the hottest spots in town. A couple of them. Joe, of course, I'm talking about the uh, practice parallel parking cones in front of the <laughs> Department of Safety. Yeah, man. it's uh, You will see a line of people circling the block, each uh, taking their turn at that thing you know in the evening once it's it's cruising hours probably like you know between six and eight joe tried to get in a couple months back could not do it well i mean i i didn't know anybody there and so mm. it was just kind of awkward i was kind of being a wallflower you for know for sure for sure yeah uh, nobody was like hey come join in the fun it was just you know everybody kept looking at me and snickering and uh <laughs> so yeah I, I came home in shame yeah but it, I, it happens i did Really nailed the parallel parking when taking the driving test, though. All right. uh, Yeah, so it was probably the thing I did the best at, ironically. First time, only time, probably the last time. (laughs) So uh, we've got uh, a whole whole handful of things we're going to get into this week. Uh, Obviously, first, let me go ahead and get this out of the way. Uh, The opinions that are expressed here on Radio Gripe are our own. They do not reflect the opinions of KBSR or any of the other members of the network. We take full responsibility for the things that we say uh you can get at us at our email it's we are trying show at gmail.com and uh we also have an instagram it's uh radio gripe tx and uh yeah you can check out what's going on with this you can reach out and let us know uh what's on your mind speaking of reaching out uh should we go ahead and open up that mailbag yeah i get them bags in the mail i get them bags in the mail i get them bags in the mail Fuck it, I'll retail yeah so yeah, we actually uh, we we actually do have an email. Uh, yeah, we got an email this week. Uh, it, it says, you know, in part, uh, as a fan of your show, I'd like to thank you for keeping discussion-worthy topics relevant, especially the obscure ones, in a time when there is a lot of confusion about basically everything. Like, when did Dr. Fauci become a bad guy? Why does everyone hate Greta Thunberg? She's like 13. Why, when I burned myself with hot grease tonight, did I automatically think to myself, put mustard on it? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's a one of our things. We might have put that out into the ether. I got uh, actually got something about hot mustard. Uh, well, I hope that hot mustard helped you there. Uh, and in closing, it says, uh, I'm, I'm worried about Planned Parenthood, gay marriage, corporate personhood, systemic poverty and miseducation, DuPont chemicals soaking into our groundwater, the grand old party, and why the fuck won't my gyno text me back? Oof. Yeah, so... Yeah, these are these are hot questions. Everybody wants to know. Uh, hey, gynos, return those calls. Yeah, all things that uh, we will Text. be addressing on future shows. Mm-hmm. So thanks a lot, there, uh, SP. You know who you are. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sending a little note. Yeah. Um. So I was thinking, uh, before we close up that mailbag, uh, I was having a thought, and I did share it with this uh, with this listener, in an attempt to increase uh, listener engagement. Uh. <laughs> We've decided to prostitute our mouths. Uh, that, that actually sounds worse that's, than 
than what we're... Uh, I mean, it's on par. Forget that I said that. If you write us a letter uh, telling us what your what your thoughts are, you can trash us, you can praise us, or just talk about what you, what's on your mind. What do you put on your grease burns? You can include a line in your email, a secret line that we will read privately, and we have to incorporate that line into our show in a naturalistic way as if we just thought of it in the course of regular conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get to create your own in-jokes. Uh, It'll be a little here. Easter egg just for you. Yeah, You'll thanks. know that you made us say it. You puppeted our mouths. <laughs> and uh, obviously, uh, we, we know we know our listeners are really cool people. Uh, yeah. But we'll keep it in within the, within the bounds of human decency. And no ad reads. No, no free plugs. No free ad reads. Yeah, no plugs. Those are the rules. I would say it as an, as an addendum. Uh, anybody listening who can pick out the Easter egg. Uh, what we said that we were forced to say, uh, write us in. And if you guessed correctly, we will shout you out on the next show. Yeah, there you go. So uh, welcome to Radio Gripe uh, 2.5 as we're as we're moving on and kind of adding new stuff to the show. Yeah, I think we can go ahead and close up that mailbag. Bye. I get them bags in the mail. I get them bags in the mail. I get them bags in the mail. Put it on celery tail. Well, uh, before we get into the news, we do also, we're, we're trying to keep this thing going. You know, what did you read watch listen or learn this week jen yeah i mean that's kind of a cumbersome title uh, i thought about switching to i'm loving it mm, unoriginal know. we could call it what's up with jen and joe which was the podcast pilot oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um what was yours did you want to start first uh sure this week inspired by watching a lot of that gbbo if you know you know i've been really wanting to cook a little bit more and do things that uh make food that i've missed uh-huh. uh, that i have not had in a long time and i don't know how to make so i had never made any kind of uh you know hand pie i've never really done pastry crust or anything like that but seeing a lot of those like savory pies and and pockets and things that they do on great british bake-off uh inspired me to make uh, authentic saltenas, uh, the Bolivian uh, soup dumpling. So I looked up a very complicated recipe, picked that one, because if it's complicated, it's got to be right. And uh, yeah, went to it over the course of yesterday and the day before and uh, made a batch of them. Didn't turn out perfect, uh, but I mean, maybe it was the first try. It was. I thought it was great, but I don't know what they're supposed to taste like. When you say dumpling, is it supposed to be more of a noodle dough or more of like an empanada dough, like a flaky pastry crust? It's supposed to be flaky. It's like an empanada dough, except for, you know, empanadas are often deep fried. The saltenia has uh, ingredients which are kind of more region specific, uh, kind of catches the flavor. Did you keep your butter cold? Real, real cold? No, I didn't. Mm, I gotta tell you, it showed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't super... Fillings were delicious. It wasn't super flaky. Um... And also, uh, your flavors were there. Your flavors were there. The execution was poor. Also, they tended to open up, and so all of the soup escaped my dumplings. Oof. And so you got the dumpling, but there's no soup, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I took my first step in and uh, in, in learning a new thing: how to do some dumplings. All right, woohoo! Where's my soundboard? Oh, did I ever have an applause sound on there? Probably not. Not a good one. For me in this, uh, I got home from work yesterday and started this Amazon series, which I'm going to vaguely, I've only seen two so far, I'm going to vaguely put it in the category of horror, which um, I think listeners who are turned off by uh, horror and um, especially any black listeners who are kind of over this sort of like woke black trauma porn mm-hmm. um 
of which there's been a lot of examples, some of them not so good, or at least not there's so well reviewed. been a cottage industry that's popped up. Yeah. Recently, first episode of the Underground Railroad, Bear Jenkins, uh, who did Moonlight and some other things, uh, the Underground Railroad, uh, based on a critically acclaimed novel, is really, really hard to get through. And I wasn't sure after the first episode if I had the energy to watch the second, but I'm two in right now. And I think when it, people who do like horror, probably when you get to the part of the spectrum where something is, uh, where the violence is in a more realistic historical context Mm -hmm. is when it becomes very difficult. It's challenging. To get through. But besides the cinematic, like incredible beauty uh, the way that it's shot in a really cinematic way, the soundscaping and scoring which are just incredible. You want to turn it up. There is something that becomes with this series, the Underground Railroad, that becomes apparent towards the end of the first episode and certainly like by the second episode. Magical realism isn't the right term, but it's not attempting to do a realistic chronological mm. like telling of the protagonist's story. Okay. Like the Underground Railroad is an actual underground like steam engine, for example. Mm. You know, this so the first one takes place on a uh, plantation in Georgia and um it's just a it's like a fucking nightmare. It's just like shot in this dreamy I'm trapped in a nightmare kind of way and then the second one seems to take place in it almost a different era. Uh, it starts off in Meteores in this completely different situation that could be taking place kind of in a different time period. It reminded me more of uh, Columbia in Bioshock Infinite. Mm. And you ha- you're seeing some like technology or whatever that like maybe wouldn't make sense. Yeah, the, the kind of like alternate history where they get to shoehorn in uh, different technologies and things that are similar to... Uh, to, t- to tell record, a story but, yeah. almost in an allegorical way like each yeah, probably yeah. each chapter is like uh, an almost allegorical allegorical vignette of the legacy of slavery and, and racial violence and it you know I, I'm only on episode two right now and then the very like the first 10 minutes of episode three but so I'm really excited about the show uh, and I, I do recommend it and I might as well bring it up because we are going to be talking about Juneteenth uh, later this episode so it seemed like, uh, like a good time to talk about that yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. art exploring that type of legacy yeah if you're not into watching something of that nature I would recommend uh, watching Doro Hi Doro even if you've <laughs> already watched it because that's what I've been doing over the last week uh, really great anime and I hear they're doing another season of it so get, get primed yeah all right, so that's uh, that for the catch-up. Um, we'll get to some news in a moment, but uh, first we want to uh, bring you a special message. I'm here with some more invertebrate news for you. I am your radio pest control professional, and I just want to keep everyone aware. So for good news, um, this really brutal week that I've had, uh, I will say I got a phone call from my mom. She had uh, some nomadic bees descend on her property, land on the shed, and start mm-hmm. forming themselves into a loose ball. Uh, and she wanted to uh, to figure out how to go ahead and get get rid of them. Let them know that uh, don't really want them to make their home in the walls of the shed. You can you can stand there saying "Go on, get all you go want." Go on, get. That's not going to work too well. Uh, yeah, and as station manager Shannon can tell you, when a fresh batch of bees has split the party looking for a new home and they descend <laughs> on your uh, immediate territory, it can be very alarming and overwhelming for some people. Everybody, try to keep a cool head. These bees are not out for blood uh, unless, you know, 
They are the type of bees that are out for blood. That are out for blood, vampire bees. Uh, <laughs> these bees are, uh, they do not have uh, a colony to defend. They don't have young to protect. And so they're typically going to be pretty unaggressive. Uh, but we do want to dissuade them from moving in. I reached out to uh, <clears throat> Ms. Julie from Plow and Hose. Who gave me some advice uh, regarding, you know, d- directing the bees, imitating their natural pheromones. Uh, she suggested if I had some lemongrass, maybe I could draw the bees away. I uh, took it a step further and I applied, because I told my mom I was going to be headed out. So, All right, well, I'll, I'll come right after work. I'll bring my toolkit. That's a little joke, uh, because my toolkit was my essential oils, which I have very little use for generally. Just gently applied some peppermint and eucalyptus around the area. Yeah, the next day they dispersed. Uh, they did not return. Yeah. Do not like the smell. They don't like that. Now, I understand that they do like lemongrass, so you could also kind of lure them a little bit, lure them away with lemongrass. Is that, that right? That was her suggestion. It's not so much that they like the smell of lemongrass, it's that the smell of lemongrass is reminiscent of the smell that, that the workers use to signal to the I rest see. of the colony that um, okay, everybody, round up. This is where we want to be. Okay. Yeah, so you took a it took a more holistic approach. Communicated with the bees in an olfactory manner. Um, very mm-hmm. satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bees got the, they got the point moved on, so that was a win. A lose for me this week. <laughs> I was at a, a loom pest control at a customer's house and pulled up a rock and uh, was greeted by the sight of worms whipping furiously around. Very alarming. I had to put the rock back and take a moment to collect myself because these these worms are not our friends. They are highly invasive species. I recognize straight away uh, due to the frenzy of their movements. These are the jumping worms that you might have heard about. Uh, I thought you were going to say crazy worms. I am also calling them crazy worms. Yeah, I yeah. have a few different names. They're, they're Asian jumping worms. They're Alabama jumpers. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. crazy worms. Um, not super worms. That's something else. It's a good band. Well, I was thinking Alabama jumpers. Uh, Alabama jumpers actually would be a good band name. Yeah. I mean, I, I guys, I'm getting pretty good at the ukulele, and uh, we had our own <laughs> drum kit, so... Anybody in Alabama looking to relocate to Texas? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying we could maybe get the band together. Just a little bit of a public service announcement uh, about the jumping worms because they are coming to town and you don't want them here. Uh, originating in Asia, these jumping worms have been on the continent for a century and, and sometimes sold in tackle shops because their frenzied movements make them ideal bait. Uh, but now crazy worms are on the move. I checked the internet starting in late 2019 and uh, throughout 2020, an otherwise unremarkable year with uh, no other threatening events. Articles began appearing online about crazy worms uh, sweeping through the Northeast and Midwest, tearing through the forest floor, wreaking ecological havoc. Um, our friend the earthworm, also not native to this continent, but from Europe, is a decomposer that dives deep, aerating the soil and tilling it with nitrogen and humus, improving the quality of the soil. Crazy worms, on the other hand, stick to the shallow surface areas. They are voracious eaters, consuming nutrient-rich uh, top layer on the forest floor, altering the composition of the soil, leaving behind nutrient-stripped topsoil hmm. uh, that resembles coffee grounds or taco meat. 
Um, uh, they can do major damage to forests, orchards, and horticultural crops. If that doesn't freak you out, they reproduce parthenogenically. That's asexually. Um, Ew. Which means they clone themselves. And they can detach their still wiggling tail if you pick them up to escape you. And there's no, currently no chemical control known to be effective against them. Last I checked, they were recommending gardeners who find them in the soil put them in a, a Ziploc sandwich baggie and leave them out in the sun to desiccate. Jesus. Because so, uh, you don't want to just cut them in half. They're yeah. just going to make, it's, it's not going to kill more. them. That's uh, uh, like uh, like the way we deal with vampires, they have to be desiccated in the sun. Yeah, and I mean, we all know through uh, games like Dungeons and Dragons, there are many creatures out there, and you cut them in half. Now you just have two smaller creatures to deal, to deal with. with. It's mm-hmm. true of vampires too. So uh, updates as they come, uh, as these worms become more widespread here in Texas. Also, the other thing about these worms is, while winter will kill them, it will not kill their eggs, and their eggs are so tiny. Um, they will get, they can travel in mulch and they can get on the soles of your shoes. Mm. So even just doing my work out there, I could be tracking the worms. Around, yeah. Tracking them back onto my property. Uh, anybody can. So um, burn your shoes. Also, if you see some, there may be others. You can draw them to the surface using hot mustard. Uh, we're, I think I'll go ahead and throw a video of those worms on our Instagram so that you yeah. can feel my disgust and alarm. Uh, <laughs> and if the sound quality is good enough, we'll throw a little worm ASMR in here right now. If it's not, maybe I'll just make some squishy sounds into the mic. <laughs> just stir up some mac and cheese. Yeah. yeah. days ago maybe even a week ago uh, every now and then i kind of forget to bring things up on the show so i might have missed this last week but um comedian cat williams maybe you know about him uh he was doing an interview on uh this uh, podcast the joe button podcast and um he had some 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 choice things to say about uh cancel culture where do you stand on comics ability to be comics uh Without without a uh, judgment and repercussion from cancel culture. Or if you or ask all of culture. the people that didn't make it to the NBA, if you ask them if we just lowered the goal down another foot, <laughs> they will all tell you they make it. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes the out of bounds, but the out of bounds got to be there, or you'll run up in the stands, right? Mm. So some of these things are for the benefit of everything. Nobody likes the speed limit, but it's necessary. Nobody likes the shoulder of the road, but it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. My, my point is, um, weren't all that extremely funny back when they could say whatever they wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, there's no cancel culture. Cancellation doesn't have its own culture. That was people of color. That was us policing our own culture. That was people without a voice being trashed 
by people just because they had a bigger name than them and more money than them and a better office than them. They could sweep them up under the rug like they didn't matter. I don't know what people we think got canceled that we wish we had back. I don't even know who though, who are they? Mm. It, it's done for the reasons it's done for and it helped who it helped. Um, if all that's gonna happen is we have to be more sensitive in the way that we talk, isn't that what we want anyway? One of the interesting things about Cat Williams is that uh, he's, he's pretty uh, vulgar on stage really speaks his mind. He's actually had a history of getting into it with hecklers, like nearly having fights at his shows. You would almost expect Cat Williams to be one of the people that would, uh, you know, uh, succumb to cancel culture. He would do something and everybody would be like, oh, we don't, we don't like Cat Williams anymore. But yeah, he's, he's actually somebody who's, who's down with it. And he thinks that it's a necessary kind of function of society. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that I like to see because we also see other comedians, especially, who come out and they want to rail against the idea of, of cancel culture and say, like, look, this is my job. I'm a comedian. I'm supposed to say things that get under your skin and rile you up, you know, and um, that that's kind of true to an extent, <laughs> you know, but also I think that we all should understand that you can and should be held accountable for the kind of like thoughts and opinions that you put out there. You know, and I think that this is nice mm. because he's actually he's saying the same thing that as a comedian, that's what he does. But he understands if people want to say that he's gone too far and shouldn't have done or said something. I think that so-called cancel culture is the topic of legitimate debate. Um, I think legitimately you can talk about different instances. Uh, I do think that the Internet is an outrage machine yeah, uh, on definitely. both sides. And some of that outrage is an exhaustive waste of, of effort and mental energy. On the other hand, not, uh, you know, saying that you feel disappointed in somebody or maybe that you're disappointed in somebody who's either an entertainer or a politician for the last fucking time. Right. And you're no longer interested in supporting them as a fan. Um, not not quite the same type of example of, of cancellation as maybe you can also see with, I don't know, sexual predators like Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein. Right. Yeah. I, the thing that I hate most about uh, so-called cancel culture and why I wish we could just stop motherfucking talking about it mm -hmm. is that canceling is a term from African-American vernacular English that once you've heard it for the 200th fucking time coming out of the mouth of some middle-aged white bow tie wearing fox news talking head douchebag right you just want to you just want to start fucking windmilling uh and and bleach out your ears it yeah could we just fucking stop could yeah, we stop yeah. could we stop giving these people goddamn oxygen please yeah well i'd like to think so but but no, because no. no, because they've made a they've made a big culture war issue out of it. And, right. Hey, Gen Xer is listening. Don't buy into this shit. This is what Fox is trying to do. I don't know if we've already talked about this, but they've made it clear over the last several months that they know their audience is physically dying yeah. and they're trying to reach out to you gen xers gotta, gotta get some fresh blood they're trying to get you to ally on the the side of the culture war that will be most profitable to them right and they're trotting out your your uh 
fucking what? Oh. Your Danzigs. Your, your Glenn Danzigs or whatever to say that punk can't exist in this current era of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Um, to get you Gen X guys on the Fox News side, don't don't be... Don't be fucking, don't be led by your nose on this one. Um, You're being manipulated. It's fucking stupid. Think for yourself. Yeah. Uh, As is the mantra of the Gen X generation. Um, Actually, I think the mantra is like, fuck it, whatever. But, uh, you know, hold to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And don't don't let yourself get drawn into this. You know what? Somebody had said on Twitter, too, I think in response to Glenn Danzig, like in reference to Lil Nas X, Hey, uh, a gay pop artist just gave a lap dance to Satan. So, um, yeah. If you think punk can't thrive in that in that atmosphere, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> like you would fucking know, even. Yeah, pretty over it with that guy too. Uh, yeah, but I just I just wanted to bring it up, uh, just as note. It's kind of just like this one of the smaller things that's pretty insignificant. Uh, it makes it makes its way into cultural or into social discourse because of culture wars, you know. But yeah, there's obviously there's more important things that are going on in the world. Uh, for example, we have to get into some recent uh, Texas legislation. Yeehaw! It's the law. So, Governor Abbott. A shining example of what's wrong with American politics. Uh, he's finally pulled a move. That is, it's not just asinine, uh, it's petty. It's absolutely dickish and perfectly fits with some broader themes uh, within the GOP. He's defunded the state legislature. This started a month or so ago when state Democrats walked out in a session to block a vote on some big voter suppression bills. Uh, we have talked about that on the show before, you know. Yeah, y'all knew we were going to get to this yeah, shenanigans, right. this tomfoolery. So the Democrats walked out so they could kind of block the block, block the vote on it and make Republicans have to do a, a, a special session of the, of the state house and everything to try to get it passed. In the background, while that was happening, uh, Austin is working on defunding police and bolstering social programs. And, of course, there's already been a whole reaction to that. There's uh, a lot of conversation about it. We talked about that on the show, about how uh, state funding will be cut to any cities who take measures like that. And essentially, that would essentially nullify attempts to procure funds for the expansion of social programs. That's a whole other thing. But what he did here in this conversation was uh, he vetoed a funding bill for the legislature, which is a regularly scheduled bill. It comes up all the time. You just got to say, hey, we just got to pay for everything. Usually there's not a whole lot of argument over funding bills like that. But here's the real fuck of it. The Texas state constitution states that elected officials in the legislature are to be paid $600 a month. And from what I see, that is pretty much like the salary for a lot of it. And those people aren't working 40-hour weeks. They just come in for sessions every now and then. They have other gigs, right? They won't really be affected by what he's done. So there's not a lot of money to be made in those positions, but the operations of the legislature, which employs a lot of staffers running around like busy little beavers keeping the show going, there's now no money for them. Uh, this is more than just like kind of cutting off the nose to spite the face. This is like cutting off your hands to spite your arms. Mm. You know, they're kind of, he's going to be harming the, the operations of the legislature as a whole. Uh, he's not getting back at the Democrats who walked out. They literally feel no sting from this whatsoever. 
It's ridiculous. It's a scorched earth, own the libs move. And uh, I imagine it's going to be probably his approach heading into elections next year. Uh, he's already picked up the Trumpian charge of building a border wall. And he's pledged $250 million, $250 million motherfucking dollars of state funding to go towards the construction. Yeah, and he started a Staying Kickstarter. true to form, he's made a website and got a P.O. box to help crowdfund the project. <laughs> and also, he's cagey about a lot of the numbers on cost and size of the project. Everybody who donated to the uh, Build the Wall Kickstarter uh-huh. back in 2016... That went great for you guys. Yeah. Uh, I think it's time to sink a little more money into this project. I mean, you can put it on your taxes <laughs> as a gambling loss, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, long story short, expect Greg Abbott to go all out pandering to the xenophobic GOP base. He's pulling out all the stops. He's doing everything that he feel like uh, Trump people loved, you know, and he's just being unapologetic and like maybe kind of overreaching his power, doing things that don't make sense uh, in petty kind of spite feel spite-fueled moves uh see now abbott's got a this last year with him let's hope fingers crossed this is his last year with him but uh jesus christ yeah yeah uh mcconaughey for gov right Fuck that. uh he's gonna have to differentiate himself from the uh whatever moderate likable platform mcconaughey is going to try to arrange for himself well, it won't be hard. and he's gonna he's gonna do it by going you know following dan patrick off into the into the right wings of the stage yeah definitely yeah of course also in uh, texas news this is not a legislation thing uh but i did have to bring up ERCOT because they're pissing people off again that's of course the energy reliability council of texas uh they've uh, they've been asking people to conserve energy uh during the recent heat wave because what do you know the grid can't handle it uh of course we, we saw ERCOT crashed during the ice storm earlier this year and the numbers are anywhere between 50 and 200 people that uh, ended up dying because of the grid failure uh, or purposeful grid takedown uh, that happened during uh, what was that yuri the name of that winter depression winter storm um but yeah there i don't know we've just been calling it snowpocalypse yeah i've been saying snowvid but yeah now here we are in uh, the heat and uh, I know that it has been a pretty high heat wave. Our buddy Reno in Vegas said that it was like 114 the other day. Yeah. Uh, so. But I mean, here the heat also, wave has just barely begun. It's it's just it's felt June. like it's felt like normal Texas to just me. Just the middle of June. Yeah. It's so we kind of know what to expect when it gets into these these months. So ERCOT should know what to expect too. Even outside of all that, I think the real story. Uh, this is something else that's kind of evolving. It's playing out. It's whether or not they are a government organization or not. So they're listed as a 501c4 nonprofit corporation. So that should say it right there. A funny story about them being a nonprofit, by the way. Uh, the board of directors collected combined salary of over $6.7 million, and that spread out over about 25 people. Some of those people get less than 100k a year. Some of them get 400k a year. And That's is it is pretty it pretty solid for a nonprofit that most of those people actually are not Texas residents? Many of them are not. They don't live in Texas or anything. Uh, ERCOT has a mission statement that does not mention the need for people to have electricity at all. Their mission is simply to be a competitive company. That's it. That's all that they want to do is like basically make a lot of money even though they are a nonprofit. It's kind of interesting how that one plays out. So, yeah, to be clear, they're not they're not 
there for public interest. They're there in the interest of capitalism. More like crapitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are at the whim of Texas regulators and uh, Texas legislation, so they tend to say that they are a governmental organization whenever lawsuits come in. They cannot be sued if they are a government organization over some of the things that people want to bring to them, right? But if it comes down to information requests, that's the thing that government organizations are subject to. And that's when ERCOT starts start saying that they are not a government organization. They are a corporation and do not have to hand over any information about their operations. So there's suddenly a private entity uh, when it suits them, and then there's suddenly a governmental agency whenever that suits them. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to have it both ways here to basically just kind of escape any kind of accountability in any way. So people are getting pretty pissed off at ERCOT. Um, if you're in Texas or know somebody in Texas, you've probably heard a little bit of bitching about that, seen some good memes and everything else. But yeah, I, I really feel like at this point, there's something else where we're blocking. Uh, we just blocked a Chinese company that wanted to come and put a wind farm in Texas oh. and offer more, you know, um, re- renewable and sustainable energy. But the wind but no. is what brought the snow in Snowpocalypse 2020 to begin with. Why are we going to trust the wind? Or I, wind is obviously it's out not, to get us. No, look, it's not about not come trusting. On. It's not about not come trusting on. the wind. This is a clear. You're thinking like a move. liberal sheep. They don't trust the Chinese. Chinese wind, even worse. They are they are looking at like blocking any company that is from China, Russian, Iran, or any other kind of like uh, hostile to American nation. They won't let those companies come in and operate when it comes to our energy grid. Even though we need more wind farms, and we actually our grid can't handle summer or winter. That's pretty fucked. <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you heard about what happened, right? What happened? So, so now Ted Cruz had posted something that was like, hey, y'all, you need to keep it, you know, keep it 85 when you're not home. Keep it 78 at night while you're sleeping. Don't go below 76 with the AC. Uh, Joe and I live in like a glorified tent, like a wooden tent. So uh, um, but we are not, unfortunately, really keeping a whole lot of AC in the house. But we also, uh, you know, we just we just live kind of. Mm. In our underwear and and don't uh, run a whole lot of AC. Mm-hmm. But uh, so what had happened was <laughs> a lot of Texans found that while they were asleep at night, their AC was remotely lowered or raised, I should say. People with like smart thermostats. People with smart thermostats. You're fucking woke up. Me. Woke up in a sweat oh my God. to find that remotely their AC had been turned up to 78 degrees while they slept. I had not heard about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> now, they had signed up for some kind of like ERCOT smart savings, you know, some kind of smart savings program with their thermostats. And they handed over the keys. They handed over the keys to the oh. thermostat and daddy came and said, uh-uh, too cold in here, finger wag. Oh, man. Ted Cruz <laughs> actually pulled a dad move on all these people and was like, don't touch the thermostat. Oh, yeah. That's people were pissed. Wild, they were man. talking to this one guy. He's yeah, like, I got I would a, be, I would be infuriated. I have a three month old baby and I woke up sweating and now I got to go check on my baby worried that my baby's overheating in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just horrible. Yeah. Not at oh, all invasive, God. not at all invasive. I mean, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, with, with a lot of the, uh, the internet of things, and the ways that we're, we're kind of trying house. to convenience ourselves with all of this, you're always just an end user and you actually don't have 
a whole lot of say in how the products that you own or use. Uh, that's why we've talked about right to repair bills and everything else before too. Uh, yeah, man, that's fucking wild. I hadn't heard about that one. Ted Cruz, you stay the fuck away from my thermostat. <laughs> you know how this works, man. Castle doctrine. You come, you come anywhere close to my thermostat. Yeah. You're catching it. Hey everybody, it's Joe here with your station break for this week. I just wanted to take a moment to say thanks for listening to our show and thanks for listening to KBSR Black Sparrow Digital Radio. Now, you know how things are done around here. We're an independent station. We are listener supported, so we've got a Patreon that helps us keep all the lights on and everything cracking. And you can go be a part of that if and you feel like it. There's a lot of good stuff on here. There's a lot of different DJs and a lot of different shows. You're sure to find something you like. Uh, but yeah, go to Patreon and search for Black Sparrow Radio, or you can go to our website, blacksparrowmusicparlor.com. There's a link to the Patreon there, and you can also just stream the radio live 24-7 from that website. Uh, of course, we've got an app for the streaming radio, or you can find us on uh, whatever kind of streaming radio thing you like. So go go find it and go listen all the time. Yeah, as we're moving forward, we're going to bring back live radio uh, transmissions out of the Black Sparrow Music Parlor. It's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. And uh, like uh, we mentioned somewhere else in this show, there's uh, still some events coming up in uh, late June, early July. Black Sparrow will be reopening around the July 4th weekend with uh, several shows and all kinds of stuff going on. So go check it out if you live here around Taylor. Also, I just need to say thanks to my man Trev Wren of the Mental State Fair for letting us use that theme song, Dying in Texas. And of course, Alex Cuervo of Spectrostatic for letting us use everything here and there. Uh, he just finished scoring another movie. I uh, can't remember the name of it right at the moment, but uh, more info will be coming out about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that too. All right, well, with that, uh, everybody have a good week, and I'll see you soon. quick ones here um there is i had heard a news report uh coming out of portland uh, about the rrt their rapid response team they're ba- they're basically crowd control uh for whenever there are protests or riots so you know these are guys that are heavily armored up and everything and they get deployed rapid response style uh to go control crowds well uh last year during protests one of the rrt officers uh cory budsworth was filmed getting a little, I was going to say getting a little handsy, but I guess he was getting a little clubby. <laughs> uh, nothing nothing like extremely severe, but uh, he was using his baton. Um, he got a little overaggressive with the photographer, Terry Jacobs. Uh, pushed them to the ground and uh, after a moment uh, hit him in the head uh, with the baton while they were not even up on their feet yet. Um, yeah, so the video captures it pretty well. You can see how he pushes somebody down and stays with them and kind of over top of them. And as they just start to kind of lean forward with their hands up in the air, they're trying to just lean forward and get their footing. And he uh, does does the pu- baton push again and catches them in the head. And then, you know, kind of looks over at the camera and goes and disappears back into the crowd of other cops, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there was already a lawsuit over that, and uh, the city uh, has lost to Terry Jacobs because they agreed, yeah, that was actually a... Uh, 
you know, kind of overforce. So you were you were wronged by that one. Something else that came up within that was a grand jury in Multnomah County. Uh, they handed down an indictment against the officer. You want to know what happened next? The entire RRT resigned, about 50-something officers, the very next day. Um, now, I love a display of union solidarity, right? Yeah. But this is this is not, we're being treated unjustly. This is just like a, a refusal accountability. This is just uh, the stubborn, we shall not be policed, we are the police kind of Yeah, mentality. and this is, well, this is not the first time that we've seen that, too. No, no. Because but there I, was the guy during... Uh, the protests over the summer that pushed down like a 78 year old activist yeah. cracked his head on the pavement. That was a fucked up video. He too. was dismissed from the police force. And I think there were a lot of protest resignations mm-hmm. um, uh, of the, of the cops during that time too. I'm like, Whoa, what a thing to, what a thing to stand up over. Um, yeah. Did you, see that display of violence yeah. uh it's sickening yeah yeah it's it's insane that people people would watch that video um i, I don't know the guy's name but i know the one you're talking about where yeah, is a 70 80 year old man who is shoved down uh and cracked his head on the pavement and you know police just stepped, stepped over, over or around him and I think one person kind of looked back, like, uh, should we? And and he was just kind of pushed from behind, like, no, keep going. You know, and that's what they say. And you can see on this video, too, that other police officers saw what this guy did, but they immediately, they nobody stopped to intervene. They put him back into the cloud of officers so uh-huh. he could disappear. You know, which is funny. is like, that's a tactic that's talked about, like this guerrilla street tactic of uh, kind of disappearing into the crowd. Uh, yeah, that's whenever you have police out there that don't have to wear identifying insignia or, you know, any names or badges or anything like that. And they adopt those, uh, those mob mentalities and those guerrilla tactics of, yeah, just brutal shit. Uh, so, um, I don't really know what's going on in Portland, man. Seems like it's still pretty rough. The, you know, everything that had happened last year, I think touched off something that was waiting to, to kind of take off in Portland. And that's, that's why things have been going off just kind of nonstop, mm-hmm. you know, for about a year now. Uh, so, hey, hey, everybody in Portland, stay safe. And watch your backs. Uh, I, got a, I got a fun little thing, and I'm not sure if this would be Conspiracy Corner or Bad Take Corner, but it's one of them. Uh, maybe both. Well, we don't have a sting for Bad Take Corner yet, although yeah. we could probably whip one up. Well, I always I'd like to speak to the manager. Uh, there was just a fun little thing in the in the news about this uh, journalist. I want to say this was out of Florida, uh, Ivory Hecker, fun name. Uh, she resigned in in grand fashion. Let's just hit the clip real quick. Thanks, guys. That's right. Before we get to that story, I want to let you, the viewers, know that Fox Corp has been muzzling me to keep certain information from you, the viewers. And from what I'm gathering, I am not the only reporter being subjected to this. I am going to be releasing some recordings about what goes on behind the scenes at Fox because it applies to you, the viewers. I found a nonprofit journalism group called Project Veritas. It's going to put that out tomorrow, so tune into them. But as for this heat wave across Texas, you can see what it's doing to AC units. And she says it that way like, I've met some people. (laughs) (laughs) As if Project Veritas isn't just like 
peeking in all our windows looking for yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and then and then she's like, so anyway, let's talk about this AC unit. <laughs> they, and then she just steps out of the way. And yeah, she, uh, she I think, was removed. But she was she had gone on the air on this live segment and said that you know she was being censored and muzzled by she works for a Fox affiliate <laughs> by Fox yeah and yeah and the thing was is that uh, they've talked with Fox over it and she was kind of pushing some I want to say anti-vaxxer and like kind of hoaxy stuff about the virus and so that's why they had said no we're not doing that news. You know, part of it is our, our ratings are down and you're in this time slot and that's not the kind of news people want. We need local news, not national conspiracy news. Yeah, save it for the morning so, zoo crew. Also, they are probably involved in more than one lawsuit uh, probably. In, pertaining to misinformation. So they're uh-huh. trying to be real, real careful. So that's um, all it is, is that they're not letting her push conspiracy <laughs> views on as a news anchor. And so she's mad about it. So she took the conversations that she had explaining why uh, to Project Veritas. And it's fucking nothing. And I, from my understanding is Veritas put out some of it through their, you know, fucking media outlet. Veritas is very good at turning nothing into uh, three alarm, you know, fire. Uh, sure. Through the magic of editing and um, lying. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of misrepresentation. A lot of, a lot of like you know, fast hand work and like, keep your eye on this hand, keep your eye on this hand, kind of fucking street magic con man shit. Yeah. Project Veritas is horrible. And I'm sure that they know that they are. There's, there's, there's surely not any sense of credibility in those people. Are there? Do you think they all believe in what they're doing? Maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Or maybe they did at the beginning. It's hard to know what's in their hearts. Yeah, you. I say they, but it's it's like one main dude, right? I can't remember his name. I don't really know. Imagine they probably got a team at this point. Ragtag group of fucking weirdos. Not a motley crew of whistleblowers. Yeah. Just blowing the whistles. <laughs> Just blowing in the whistle, man. Yeah, but that's that's most of the news that I had for this week. I, I scratched a couple things at the last minute because they're, they're not really going anywhere. But, um... Yeah, we, we could talk about the resurgence of the lab leak. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I think God. we're running low on time, uh, so we'll go ahead and save that and save John Stewart's display on Colbert um, for next week, maybe. Or not yeah. at all. Yeah, we don't need to give or him not any at all. oxygen at that point. Um, I mean, eventually, that might be something that we do want to talk about. Yeah. It's not an impossible... The lab leak thing is not an impossibility, Sure. I will say that John Stewart, uh, all due respect, because I used to love him, sounds like a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's not making a very good argument. Uh, he's not trying to. He's making comedy. Uh, but to anybody that's like, it's clearly satire. I'm like, bitch, this is your cope. This yeah. is so obvious. Right. Um. Yeah, the main reason why the dominant theory is not the lab leak theory is because of the entire history of animal-to-human transmitted diseases, which has happened repeatedly yeah. throughout human history. Happens and that's why it's lot. kind of the uh, a priori, let's start from here, when it comes to an mm-hmm. outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say that there it's impossible that there's a lab leak, but uh, I don't think Jon Stewart knows enough about science to say... Whatever he fucking... Whatever he's saying. It's so obvious. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 
I would rather talk about the theories on uh, what is it, syphilis, and how that came to be uh, found in humans. That's another episode. We'll do that sometime. Obviously, a lab leak, right? Uh, That's the only possible way for syphilis. <laughs> no, it was uh, Chris Columbus was uh, fucking llamas. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and anyway, that's something. Though. That's something that somebody <laughs> said earlier too to me on a podcast. I can't remember who was like. A lot of people have speculated that the reason that there was so much transmission of disease from the old world to the new world and hardly any transmission of disease. Well, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of one from the new world to the old world when it came to colonizing mm-hmm. is animal husbandry that, that humans yeah. on, you know, the European humans continent have been over in there, close proximity with tons of animals. The for a animal long time. husbandry, the, the farming and, and all that close, close human animal interactions. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, in, in the new world, that wasn't really a thing that people were culturally doing. Right. So you don't have those kind of diseases on this continent. But but yeah, no. Uh, John Stewart and Alex Jones are both right. It's a physical impossibility for diseases to jump from animals to humans without without the intervention of mad science, uh, mad scientists. Obviously, it's worth talking about. And as soon as Biden got into office, it became like, well, hey, can we actually try to sort of figure out if there's any validity to this? Or can you, you know, mm-hmm. do any type of um you know can you can you get get any intelligence about the origins of this virus uh that scientists were not wanting to talk about during the trump administration because at the time it was the the association with being used for political purposes Mm -hmm. as a scientist by the trump administration and having racists uh quoting your work throughout the internet right um, was too horrifying as a scientist to even entertain those type of speculations publicly. Privately is a different matter. Right. And now we're in an era where more people feel like, well, I think it's something that needs to be that needs to be looked into. If we can do that in a way that isn't stoking racism and xenophobia, because it's really not the fucking point. So I do understand the resurgence of that. Um, and also, you know, honestly, if you're John Stewart and you want to do a fucking bit and you want to make jokes about it. You got to consider that the very next day you're going to be retweeted by uh, Lauren Boebert yeah. or some other fucking idiot mm-hmm. who wants to say, finally, the, this liberal gets it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I had to wonder if he was maybe trying to do a bit and he's going a little bit more how Stephen Colbert used to be when he was on Comedy Central. Uh, but I don't know. I, I didn't really, I wasn't convinced by that. He seemed like he was just more genuine. Uh, with what he was saying. Oh, there's a difference between satire and comedy. He's doing comedy. He's not doing satire. I don't even know if you would call that shit comedy. It just wasn't. It was kind of cringe. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of cringe. I mean? But whatever yeah. you're doing, don't be in a position for the Lauren Boberts to come out and retweet retweet, yeah, re- retweet you in, in agreement with you. Yeah. Um, once you Once you get... Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene agreeing with anything that you've said. You this gotta, guy gets it. This guy gets it. You gotta question what you just said. Man. You do, or why, or why you said it yeah. the way that you said it. Yeah.
last thing that we've got here, we're going to take a moment with. Uh, of course, there was recent news that uh, Joe Biden uh, had passed. He had, he had made Juneteenth a federal holiday, uh, which had been called for a few times in the past. Uh, and that one uh, happened just a few days prior. We are we are actually recording this the day after. We're a day late. We're on the 20th. And a dollar short, but uh, it's, it's never too late. Yeah. I mean, happy Juneteenth, everybody. Or Jubilee Day. Uh, as it was known in several other parts. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted to take just a minute to talk about a little bit of the history uh, of it because it is, it's been a state holiday in Texas actually for a while now. So uh, it's a commemoration of June 19th, 1865, when news arrived to Galveston, Texas from some Union soldiers uh, about the fall of the Confederacy two months prior. And, uh, yeah, they came in and said, "Hey, slavery is no more here. Uh, yeah, all you people, all you people are freed." And so that was when that had happened. And uh, one year later, this was the first Jubilee Day. This was already kind of happening in other places. Uh, it was being celebrated the fall of the Confederacy and the end of slavery in America, and it was typically called Jubilee Day. And so that's what it was back then, right? So uh, one year later, in 1866, the first Jubilee Days, they were known back then, was celebrated in Texas. And uh, in the early years of it, there was it was much more like a political rally, actually, where recently freed enslaved people would get introduced to voting and the political process. Uh, over the next few years, obviously, though, segregation was still preventing black people from gathering to celebrate. And in many areas, black communities pulled money together to buy land for celebration. Uh, this is actually what led to the purchase of 10 acres in Houston, which is now known as Emancipation Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was I was on BuzzFeed and I was looking at some old pictures, uh, sepia toned pictures of black people celebrating Juneteenth, you know, back around 1900 or prior to 1900. Mm-hmm. Brought a tear to my eye. Um, it's just some beautiful photos of people wearing white gowns and dressing up their carriages and in flowers and you know yeah you have to hold really still for those old photos but you can still see you know the sort of joy although it looks really hot it looks really hot uh in texas in these pictures yeah that's the south for you in the 1890s uh leading up to what you're saying uh jubilee day was officially called juneteenth but when we got into the 20th century there, that brought in a slew of racist legislation because this was the Jim Crow era. Right. And so uh, that, followed by the Great Depression, led to a drop in observance. And so it was around 1938 that Texas Governor James Allred made a grand proclamation uh, citing it as an observance, not like an official state holiday or anything, but just kind of say hey yeah you guys should totally celebrate juneteenth do it and uh way later in 1979 it was finally uh considered a state holiday here in texas Mm. so that was just kind of like it's you know short history of becoming an observance and then kind of going back and forth on how well it was uh commemorated or observed uh based on (laughs) whether or not the government was letting black people do things I do think that it uh, it is kind of the classic American tale that it, it has taken more than 100 years, you know, between the creation of this and then the, I guess, uh, the, the codification or whatnot, you know. It's, I mean, obviously it's a good thing. It's a thing that I think we should like to celebrate, but also it's 
as with many things when it comes to civil rights uh, in America, it's, it's always a little late. Regardless of that, uh, I'm happy to see it, and I hope everybody ha- has had a good Juneteenth celebration this year and is looking forward to next year's uh, when, uh, depending on where you work, you might actually get that nice paid day off. We all like that. Yeah, CNN recently interviewed uh, Opal Lee, whose childhood home uh, in in Fort Worth was uh, burned down by a white mom. Oh, and my phone is shutting down. Did was, you say white mom or white mom? <laughs> by a white... Uh, here, let's start again. This uh, civil rights leader, Opa Lee, whose childhood home in Fort Worth, I think, was burned down by a white mob uh, around around Juneteenth when she was a child. Okay. Uh, in 2016, then 89, now she's like 94, mm-hmm. she walked, uh, she, she made a 1,400-mile trek from her home in Fort Worth to Washington, D.C., hoping to ask President Barack Obama to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Uh, she made national headlines and also gained more than 1.6 million signatures on a petition to mark the holiday. Um, but it wasn't until this week uh, that Opal Lee, called the grandmother of Juneteenth, uh, witnessed the moment that she had worked and walked to achieve. Um, she also attended a ceremony at the White House. I saw her in a CNN clip uh, being interviewed and um, celebrating the induction of this national holiday. And I'll go ahead and throw a clip here, too, because she's so sweet. I'm Opal Lee, and I've had this marvelous day at the White House. The young people would say, it's off the chain. You cannot imagine how joyful how humble, how magnificent the whole thing has been. There may be some of you who don't know what Juneteenth is. The enslaved in Texas weren't told they were free for two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation freed them. They'd watch in their churches and they'd pray for freedom to come. And it finally did when General Gordon Granger and 7,000 colored troops from New Jersey and New York made their way to Galveston, Texas. And he read General Order Number 3 that said all slaves are free. When those people came in from their labor and somebody read that to them, we started celebrating and we've been celebrating ever since. Juneteenth is not a Texas thing. It's not a black thing. We're talking about freedom. So yeah, I mean, like I grew up, you know, prior to the 2000s in Michigan, you know, pretty far from Texas and in a predominantly white, like suburban community. And um, so yeah, it was a holiday that I wasn't even familiar with until I moved down here. Mm. But um now it is a national holiday. And I, I don't know if it's one of those things where as more white people start celebrating just like having a day off uh, for the day to have barbecues and stuff, mm-hmm. if the main message is going to get like adulterated or the main thing that it's commemorating. And when, you know, when you look at what it's commemorating, it it does kind of fill you with like anger and outrage that you can have the North win the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation occurs, mm-hmm. and the slaves are freed, and then white Southerners can just simply ignore it and continue to hold people in bondage. Right. 
Well, the Emancipation Proclamation was two years. Two years. Before the, before before the fall this. of the Confederacy. And it, yeah, it wasn't until the war was officially over that soldiers were going through the South, you know, from the North and uh, spreading the word. And it took two fucking months. And they arrived in Galveston. Uh, that was the first place in the Texas Territory hmm. at that time. Yeah, uh, it took quite a while. And it took quite a while for it to, to really kind of catch on in America. It was There was a period, uh, I want to say it was after the Great Depression, when there were a lot of people that... Uh, had left and gone to other places and that's when we started to see the celebration of it and the knowledge of it get to places like san francisco and uh, seattle and detroit and and kind of all over but it was still at that point it was still not something that larger communities and certainly not the government was like really kind of paying any heed to it was it was more about it was it was just a community thing and you were either aware of it or you weren't and uh yeah, it was a thing that I didn't really see too much where I came up uh, over there in New Mexico, you know, a little bit. And it was actually when I was living in Salt Lake that I actually, like, really noticed it. Uh, Salt Lake likes to celebrate things, you know, and uh, they're, they actually got a pretty big uh, ethnic makeup, even in the church and everything else. And so, you know, they adopt, they adopt some stuff and celebrate it. Not trying to toot the Salt Lake horn too much or anything, but it's just a surprising thing about so, the place. Yeah, Utah, it, I guess because of the church, it's kind of weirdly diverse. Yeah, um, it's, it's because of their missionary work. Cultures, and, right? uh, yeah, which, and that's the thing is, I mean, it's missionary work. They are trying to bring people over into uh, <laughs> the eyes of white Jesus, uh, a la, you know, what's his name? Joseph Smith, Joseph and, Gordon Levitt Smith, and Brigham Young, and uh, <laughs> these assholes. But uh, yeah, um, but yeah, you'll find you'll find a pretty uh, pretty good ethnic mix over there in Salt Lake mm-hmm. for the most part. But that's that's neither here nor there. That that was when I first started noticing Juneteenth, and then I came back to Texas and have become more familiar with it since then. Well, yeah. we yeah we're we're a day late, but we are celebrating and. Um, Happy Juneteenth, everybody. Uh, I would like to maybe just go out on a song, um, Capturing the Spirit of Emancipation and Black Joy. And so I'm going to pick a joyful song that came out in 2020 that I really love, but that's for the radio. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to choose for the podcast, but I'm still going to say, here's a song by A Magnificent Queen.
all right that's been it that's uh all the all the shit that's fit to bitch all about. the shit that's fit to bitch i like that yeah there's a, a sign off yeah um thanks for joining us everybody uh we'll be here next week with uh more stuff obviously still pride month more celebrations going on for that and so we might do something again next oh, week yeah do we have um there's a dance party yeah. Yes, we have a dance party. Do, do we do we have something that we need to shout out on the radio as far as uh, any KBSR involvement with, uh, or Black Sparrow involvement with Pride events? Well, uh, I know that we, uh, KBSR has, is a sponsor of Taylor Pride, and uh, Taylor Pride is throwing a uh, send-off and dance party at uh, Exchange uh, this coming Saturday, the 26th. Exchange is the place right next to the Black Sparrow Music Parlor. That is true. Black Sparrow Music Parlor right now is going through some renovations and is bringing in, uh, well, I'll go ahead and say it, Evergreen Craft Foods. So there's going to be also a skate shop and music shop in the back. So it's now going to oh, be, it's still going to be a music venue, and we are still going to be doing radio operations out of it. We're going to be doing live radio operations out of it. We're changing up our schedule to make room for more stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, actually, Black Sparrow Music is coming back with a fucking bang this summer right. on it July It sucks 4th. that we can't do a live dance party this weekend, though, or next Yeah, weekend. won't be quite ready for it, but we're going to be having one next door, uh, or Taylor Pride will. And all of Taylor is welcome to come and join. So if you're hearing this before that happens, get out there and, and check it out. Well, what day is this? Saturday the 26th. Okay. Yeah. So thanks, KBSR. Uh, thanks, Taylor Pride. Uh, thanks to you, dear listener. And, uh, of course, thanks to Trev Wren of the Mental State Fair for giving us that theme song, Dying in Texas. Thanks to Alex of uh, Spectrostatic. Uh, shout out there, too. Uh, Alex and Alicia are actually opening up a uh, curio shop, Curio Merbosa, that's going to be opening up around the July 4th weekend here oh, in Taylor, cool. too. So if you like getting out and checking out antiques and boutiques, uh, you're definitely going to want to check you know out their I store. Do. Uh, it'll be on, I think it's Main and 3rd. So, uh, yeah. That's it for us. Uh, I've been Joe. I've been Jen. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs> <laughs>